Hello, this is Faraha Asani. I am the lead associate disruptor at Race Reflections. Welcome to the Race Reflections at Work podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice, and oppression in the workplace. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if any of you has any ideas about what you would like us to discuss on this podcast, feel free to send us your thoughts, queries, questions, and dilemmas via email. The email address to use is at work at racereflections.co.uk. On today's episode, I'm going to be focusing on empathy and the lack thereof in the workplace. I'm going to start us off by giving a definition of empathy and contrasting it to sympathy. So according to the Center for Creative Leadership, sympathy is typically defined by feelings of pity for another person without really understanding what it's like to be in their situation. Whereas empathy, on the other hand, refers to the capacity or ability to imagine oneself in the situation of another, experiencing the emotions, ideas, or opinions of that person. Personally, I found a definition that resonates more deeply with me that was published in 2017 by Santa Maria Garcia and colleagues. They say that empathy is a complex cognitive and affective process that allows humans to experience concern for others, comprehend their emotions and eventually help them. They further add that empathy is a complex construct which entails feeling concern for others, sharing and comprehending their emotions, and prompting motivation to help them. So in this particular definition, we can see that empathy is positioned as a verb. While the word itself is a noun, the concept is kind of presented to us as being something that spurs us to action. And I quite like that definition. And I want to posit that while we know that we all deserve a healthy working environment, an environment that is safe, that at minimum, the minimum demonstration of empathy that we can show one another in the workplace is to uphold one another's dignity. And the thing about this is that we don't actually even have to necessarily like each other to do that, but a lot can get in the way of showing one another empathy in the workplace such as microaggressions, misogynoir, envy, and a whole host of other things. And I'm just going to signpost you to some resources that we have at Race Reflections that can give you more of an idea of these concepts that I've just named. We have a podcast called Misogynoir in the Workplace, which was presented by Dion. We also have The Invisible Gaze of White Women and another podcast called Envy. Both of those podcasts were recorded by Guylaine Kinwani. I'm also going to signpost some articles from Race Reflections, one being Envy, Power, and the Fear of Self. And something else that resonates personally is the concept of moving from being a pet at the working place to a threat. So here I signpost an article written by Erica Stallings called When Black Women Go From Office Pet to Office Threat. As a case study, I'm going to present an experience that I went through a couple of years ago during my PhD. Now, my PhD was a really tumultuous time for me. It wasn't only because the research itself was quite hard for me, but in my personal life, I was facing a lot. 
I'm someone who has lived with generalized anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder from my earliest memories, and these affect the way I move in this world. I was also really far away from my family at that point in time, and I still am now. My family is based in Nigeria, and I'm in the UK. And very sadly, my PhD supervisor got sick and then passed away. And then unexpectedly, a couple of months later, my father passed away. So there was a lot that I was dealing with, with an added layer of grief to navigate. And I worked in this place for two years in a part-time position, doing something that I love to do, which is teaching students. And I was working with a number of other postgraduate researchers. And there was a particular co-worker who from the very beginning made it quite clear that they did not like me. And this was the case for a two-year period while I worked there. And what started happening was that I started questioning what I was doing to make them dislike me. And in terms of how they registered their dislike for me, it went from minor things such as ignoring emails and totally ignoring me in work chats and making little comments and literally being in corners, laughing with friends while looking at me. It caused a lot of tension. Now, I just want to say that the racial dynamics at play here were me as a black person, one of only two black people in that working situation, and this other individual who happened to be a white woman. I tried as much as possible to overcompensate and overextend myself and compliment as much as possible and try to be as supportive as possible. And now looking back, what I realize as well is that I was gaslighting myself. So I just want to pause at this point to define what gaslighting is, to catch us all up for those who might not know. According to Marissa Conrad, who wrote a Forbes article called What is Gaslighting? Meaning Examples and Support. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation that hinges on creating self-doubt. Now, within that article, there is a professor of sociology that is quoted, Dr. Paige Sweet, who says, Gaslighting is making someone seem or feel unstable, irrational, and not credible, making them feel like what they're seeing or experiencing isn't real, that they're making it up, that no one else will believe them. Now, the interesting thing about gaslighting is that we can do it to ourselves as well. In an article written by Nicole Bedford called Five Signs You're Gaslighting Yourself, Bedford says that these five signs are you make excuses for someone's bad behavior. You invalidate your feelings. You're constantly shooting yourself. And what Bedford means here is coulda, woulda, shoulda. You believe you're too sensitive and you don't trust your judgment. And the takeaway of this article, according to Bedford, and this is a direct quote from the article, all five of these signs of gaslighting yourself point to one fundamental truth. When we gaslight ourselves, we do it out of a lack of trust. We don't trust our emotions, intuition, inner voice, and we look at these things with judgment. Now back to my experience, this was the case with me. I thought to myself, if only I were stronger, I would be able to handle everything that I'm experiencing and also fit in here in this workplace, or at the very least, ignore. And I did try to ignore and I did try to remain professional and nothing I was doing was working. And I just want to make it clear that everyone in my work situation was very aware of everything else that I had been dealing with. 
And to the best of my knowledge, this white woman who was sending these very negative energies and creating this hostile space, at least in the sense of when her and I were in the same space together, this white woman colleague of mine was very aware of what I was going through. Now, everything came to a head a couple of months after my father passed away, when I totally burnt out. I was crying at work. I broke down in tears because I lost all my confidence to even stand in front of a class and teach students. Now, I should say that in this experience, I did receive a lot of grace and support from most of my colleagues. Now, when I was finally ready to come back to work, something that confounded my situation even more was that I only had a little bit of time, literally weeks, to submit for a particular teaching accreditation. So there I was in such a hurry to get together a portfolio. And something that I had to submit as part of my portfolio was peer assessment, several peer assessments, which meant that myself and the other teachers who wanted this accreditation would have to assess one another in different classes that we were teaching in. And because of the way our schedules worked, it so happened that one of the assessments that I would have to undergo was with this particular individual. And so I reached out in the sweetest possible way, asking if they wouldn't mind observing and assessing me. And as usual, all my emails were ignored. Now, I should say that up to this point, I wasn't aware, and I still am not, of anything significant that I had done to cause them offense. Again, to the best of my knowledge, there's nothing that I can think of. And by speaking to some individuals who had known and had worked closely with both of us, even upon reflection years later, there is nothing that anyone can identify that I did wrong. So going back to that request for peer assessment, when a response finally came to me, it said that this particular individual, this white woman colleague of mine, was uncomfortable with my suggestion at how we would undertake this particular peer assessment. What she expressed was that the amount of time that I would spend teaching in front of a class and that she would have to use in observing me versus the amount of time that she would spend would position her as, and I quote, a helper. I was shocked to say the least, not because there's anything wrong at all with being a helper in any sense of the word or with being a teaching assistant, but because this was an individual who had years worth of experience, more significantly so than what I did. This was an individual that was so well embedded in that particular teaching landscape that I could not in any way, shape or form understand how she would have felt, according to what she expressed, that in the eyes of our students, our shared students, that she was my helper. But then I sat back and started thinking about the very real fact that perhaps in some way the issue at hand was that of envy. And years later, this is what I'm convinced of, 
that no matter how much I was gaslighting myself and no matter how much I was overextending and trying to overcompensate, there was nothing I could do because the issue was never about me. It was about her and her envy. And if I can add, a very racialized envy. But here I am years later identifying points at which I wish I had advocated for myself. Now, the interesting thing about this case study is that I don't believe it caused distress only towards me as an individual. It often caused tension, not just between her and I, but for the rest of our colleagues as well. Nobody won. of solutions and things that can be done to foster empathy in the workplace. I'm very big on advocating for myself and I recognize that self-advocacy is not always going to work and for various reasons we may not all be ready to advocate for ourselves. If you are in a management position at work I would strongly recommend that you think about setting up standard operating protocols to protect people in your workplace and to foster empathy and compassion. So what do I mean by this? If such a situation were to happen in your working place and someone was to approach you to tell you that they were experiencing misogynoir and microaggressions and any form of discrimination, do you know how to deal with it? I strongly recommend that you start reflecting on how you would deal with it. In conclusion, I would like to close the loop that began with my definition of empathy that I got from Santa Maria Garcia and colleagues who positioned empathy as an action word, as a verb. And I'm going to go back to the Center for Creative Leadership who makes some suggestions around how we can foster working environments with empathy. Watch for signs of burnout in others. Show sincere interest in the needs, hopes, and dreams of other people. Demonstrate a willingness to actually help your colleagues. Show compassion when other people disclose a personal loss. Talk about empathy in the workplace to signal its value. And I would say act on it as well. Teach active listening skills and practice them. Encourage genuine perspective taking and reflection. So it's really important to develop all our reflective thinking and our, our reflective praxis. And here I'm going to signpost to the race reflections reflective model. Keep cultivating compassion. And with that, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to Race Reflections and rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Faraha Asani from Race Reflections. Goodbye. Take care.